0: If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I want to invite you to open it or turn it on, however you happen to look at your Bible, to Matthew chapter 19. And uh, I just want to draw your attention for a few moments this morning to maybe a not-so-common passage of Scripture one might turn to on a Sunday where we're going to focus on a baby dedication. I want to look at Matthew 19 verses 16 to 22, and I'm going to read those in a minute, but for the title, you probably see it on the bulletin if you got one. I've titled my talk specifically addressed to Brandon and Stacy, but indeed to the entire church, Religion Versus Christianity in the Home. Religion, which I have grown and kind of come to my own conclusion that religion is man's search for God, whereas Christianity is God coming to humanity. And I just love the difference in that. Today is one of the favorite things for me to be able to do and be a part of. I'm not going to lie to you. It's a little extra special today for me for obvious reasons, as I have my in-laws here and uh, parts of Debbie's family are here, parts of Stacy's family are here, and it's just great to, to see them all. It's special because it's my granddaughter, Piper, that we get to dedicate to God. She is the daughter of Brandon and Stacy, and for Debbie and I, she's our first granddaughter, our second grandchild. And it's really neat, I'm not going to lie, to be able to see what God is doing with the next generation of our family. And like every other grandparent here in this room with me, I would say, like us, you've wondered, as I wonder about Piper, when I hold her and I try to tickle her and I try to get her to smile and I watch her sleep and all those things that she does, I wonder what she's going to be like as she grows up. I wonder, what will her talents be? Will she be able to play the drums like her dad or will she be able to sing I wonder what her interests will be, what she will find fascinating, what foods will she like, and what will her laugh be like? Will it be that tiny giggle or that big gaha laughter? And of course, I've wondered about those things for both all three of my kids, and for Theo, and now for Piper. I've prayed for all my children. I've wondered about their salvation and how they'll see God. Wondered many times who will they will marry and. How do I, as a father and a grandfather, protect them? And how do I influence them and point them to Jesus? And I'm sure that's true of many of you. And I don't think it's that it's just not me that thinks this way. I think every parent here in this room has thought this, along with all of the grandparents that are here. In fact, I believe everybody in this room deals with life and existence and has questions. I believe everybody here says, at one point or another, who am I? why am I here? What's the meaning of life? I think everybody now more than ever in the 21st century is asking this question, am I happy? And what would it take for me to be happy? Who is God? In an age where truth is no longer absolute, what really matters then? Some of you may have wondered, why do I have the parents that I have? or why don't I have parents? Why has this happened to me? Maybe some of you have walked through hard times in life, and you've made this question, where was God when? You see, I think that not just in this room, but I think in St. John's and Newfoundland and Canada, around the world, we are a people of questions. We ask them all the time, whether we say them out loud or we think them, whether we're willing to admit that we struggle with them, we do. And I would submit that Matthew chapter 19 actually starts with a question, the passage that I want to give it to you. And when it comes to life, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to family, when it comes to parenting, when it comes to children, I would ask you, is there any greater example of the gift, and for us this morning, the gift of a child than of Jesus Christ himself? So I want us to function as a church for a few minutes this morning. I want us to obey Romans chapter 12 that says we're to outdo one another in showing honor. We are going to honor Brandon and Stacy and their family. Paul told us not to owe anything to anybody, but to always be in debt to love to each other. We're going to do what Philippians says, Philippians chapter 2 that says to be of the same mind, to be of one mind together as we look at the example of Christ. We're going to obey Ephesians 4 that says we're to be a holistic church family we honor and recognize that we're diverse, we're different, we're single people and married people, we're people with children, without children, we are people that have, that have got grandchildren and don't, but we work together in each other's lives. And so, let me remind us all, and especially my son Brandon and my daughter-in-law Stacy, along with your friends and family, what is really happening here. I just want to make sure we're clear, dedicating a child acknowledges God's sovereignty not only over the child but also mom and dad and parents present their child before God and his people to church asking for grace and wisdom in carrying out their responsibilities but actually parents come along praying that their child might one day trust Jesus Christ as savior for the forgiveness of sin that's what we're doing here today Now, I want you to notice something about Matthew chapter 19, if you go all the way back to Matthew chapter 18, because there was an argument that actually begins back in chapter 18 that's going to lead us to the passage, okay? The disciples started arguing all the way back in Matthew 18 about who is the greatest. They wanted to know who is the greatest person, and they wanted to do that, and Jesus sets them straight because he actually says, do you want to know who the greatest in the kingdom of God is? It's the one who becomes like a little child. It's not one that's the biggest strength. It's not the tallest. It's not the talent, most talented one. It's the person who becomes childlike. Again, in chapter 19, just before this passage, in verse 16, we have Jesus blessing little children. And the disciples still don't get it. After arguing in 18 over who the greatest is and God said, Jesus saying, no, you've got to become like a little child. Then people start to come and bring their little children to Jesus and the disciples try to stop it. And Jesus has to once again rebuke them and say, let the little children come to me. And I love this. And so here, when you come to our passage, they are still trying to think, okay, what makes someone worthy of the kingdom? And finally, we get an example. In Matthew chapter 19, beginning of verse 16, we get what the Bible calls a rich young ruler. And I think the disciples finally thought, yes, finally, this is the type of guy we want. This is the kind of guy we want to invite into the kingdom, the kind of people we want to reach out to and recruit. And yet by the end, Jesus turns it all upside down. So if I wanted to put my sermon and my challenge to Brandon and Stacey and to you, the church, in a sentence, here is the best of my creative abilities on a short work week. Here it is, right? This passage is the day a bad man acting like a good man received an incredible offer and made a tragic decision. That is Matthew chapter 19 beginning in verse 16, all right? It was the day a bad man who's acting like he's a good guy received an incredible offer and made a tragic decision. Let's look at it. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Matthew uses that key phrase of his gospel, and behold, that means something out of the ordinary is happening. Behold this. A man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Notice the questions in this passage. And he, Jesus, said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. And if you would enter life, then keep the commandments. And he said, second question, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you notice, those are six commands. Now, some of you have been around church enough to know that we have what is called the Ten Commandments. Jesus quotes six of them, and I want you to note they are the six external ones. He has skipped commandment one, two, three, and four. He started at five and went to ten. All right? That's what he does. So the young man in verse 20 said to him, all these, those six you've just quoted, I have kept. What do I still lack? That's his third question. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, all right, listen, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And this is the tragedy of this passage, verse 22. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful. Why? For he had great possessions. Now, I don't know about you, but what jumped out at you? I have read this passage over and over again over the last number of years of my life. It is one of my favorite passages. What are the questions of this passage? Do they evoke from your mind? Have you ever known someone who came to church? seemed very interested in Jesus and the Bible, asked many questions, seemed excited about God and heaven and eternal life, even wanted to serve to be around people and God's stuff, even asked, how do I get saved, or how do I have what you have, or how do I know I am right with God? And then that person seems to be all in. And then shortly over time, they kind of drift off. They kind of lose interest. Their faithfulness in coming becomes sporadic in coming and then they stop coming. And before you know it, it seems like they're almost worse off than before because now more than being just complacent, they're actually antagonistic. They're almost anti-God, anti-Jesus, anti-the Bible, anti-church. Now I'm going to be honest, I have seen that situation hundreds of times in my lifetime. Hundreds of times. And think back right now to the many who have walked through the doors of Calvary Baptist Church over 25 plus years. Who you've witnessed to, who you've lived with. But I want you to listen to me. This passage had everything has everything to do not only with Brandon and Stacy, but everyone here. See, John MacArthur puts it this way. Anyone who has done much personal witnessing has encountered persons who make a profession of faith in Christ, but whose subsequent lives show no change in attitudes or behavior. And when they indicate no love for God and Christ, no interest in the Bible, in prayer, or in the fellowship of God's people, and there is no reason to believe that they were ever saved. And you can read about all that in Matthew chapter 13. And so I believe in this passage for Brandon and Stacey and for everybody here, including myself and Debbie, I want us to realize that Jesus is teaching both the disciples and this rich young man. And there's something here for us to see as well. You see, as one pastor puts it, this man had to make a choice between Christ and his possessions, between Christ and sin, and he failed the test. You see, no matter what he may have believed, because he was unwilling to forsake all, he could not be a disciple of Christ. Salvation is for those who are willing to forsake everything. And in Matthew chapter 19, 16 to 22, it gives us insight into how some people who show great interest in the gospel never come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, this young man went away from Christ not because he heard the wrong message, not because he did not believe, but because he was unwilling to admit his sin, forsake all that he had, and obey Christ as Lord. And by the way, he didn't just not do it just because he loved his money and pleasure and lifestyle. He didn't do it not just because he didn't want to give up all of his money and give it to the poor and then follow Jesus, This is the crux of the matter. He didn't do it because fundamentally he didn't believe two things. He didn't believe that one, Jesus is better. And number two, that Jesus could be trusted. And I think that's the pandemic problem of our world today. It's not that people don't believe in Jesus. It's not that people don't believe in the Bible to some degree. It's that ultimately people don't believe that Jesus is better than everything the world is selling or that Jesus can be trusted with what and how he tells us to live. And so, if you want to know the difference, maybe this afternoon or this week, go back and read Matthew 13. When Jesus speaks seven parables, that is earthly stories with heavenly meanings, and most of them are quite short, like these two. See, here's the difference between the rich young man and these two people talked about in Matthew 13:44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven, God says, is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and then covered up. Now, notice this. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And again, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Friends, this is the difference. See, the rich young ruler thought Jesus was an add-on. True Christians believe that Jesus is an all in. And when you have Jesus, you have everything you need. All right? I love having you here, man. I just do. Bradford, I love having you here. All right? And so, my challenge for Brandon and Stacy, and my challenge for all of us as a church, is going to be exactly the same thing. But I want to first talk to Brandon and Stacy. I want to give you five principles to live your lives by as you raise Piper and Theo. And again, in a larger sense, these are principles for all of us. Number one is this. Teach your children to know who Jesus really is. Don't give your children a flannel graph version of Jesus. Teach them who he really is. Look back at our passage, all right? In verse 20, we learn that the one who came to him was a young man, which means he was under the age of 40 in the way the New Testament would have defined youth. From verse 22, we know that he was wealthy. Luke informs us in Luke chapter 18, verse 18, that he was likely a ruler in the synagogue. He was a specially honored position for a young man. He was religious. He was devout. He was a leader. He was honest. He was wealthy. He was prominent, and he was influential. He had all that you would want in this world. And that's why when Matthew says, Behold, behold. He wants us to know that something unusual, something unexpected that he would admit that he would come to Jesus and say, I lack something because this guy earthly wise had everything. So for him to go up to Jesus and risk the scorn of the religious leaders and say, look, I want to know what is the one thing I need to do to have eternal life. Well, to ask it means he admits he's a bit scared. He doesn't have that. And so he felt that need. For he comes to Jesus in a posture of humility, comes to him publicly, comes to him with a sense of respect. And I just want you to know Brandon and Stacy, And I think with my son, I don't think I have to convince him or you both that you have a need in raising Piper. You are not going to do it perfectly yourselves. I don't think I have to convince you of that. And I'm not saying what you think your need is Is what God says it is. Because notice how Jesus responds to this rich young ruler in our passage. He says to him, why do you come calling me good? Do you know what good is? What is it you're you're looking for? And the greatest thing that you can do as parents and what you and I can do as, as Christians and that we can all do as a church is we need to answer this question. Do you know who Jesus is? See, this rich young ruler came and said, ruler, rabbi. And he says, good ruler, Good teacher. And he says, Why do you call me good? Kevin DeYoung, a good friend of mine, he puts it like this Isaiah 9, and the great major prophet, hails the Messiah as light of the world in a land of deep darkness. He is the child born under oppression and eventual execution of the Roman government. He is our wonderful counselor and the mighty God. He reveals to us the everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. Of the increase of his kingdom and peace, there will be no end. He will rule with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And Jesus looks at him and says, why do you ask me what is good? It was a set up question. You see, Jesus says, Do you really understand who I am? Are you just coming and flattering me? Are you coming because you think I may offer you something, or do you really understand who I am? See, he called him a good teacher. Again, DeYoung says that's a popular answer today, isn't it? In the 21st century, Jesus was a really humble prophet, a teacher of peace and justice, but some of his followers made up all these other things. If you talk to anybody in the real world today, especially at the university, they'll say, yeah, I believe Jesus existed. I believe he was a great revolutionary. He was a great political figure. But all that miraculous stuff, all that exalted language about himself, I think people just over-exaggerated that. He says, maybe the Christ of faith is completely different from the Jesus of history. And so I want you to make sure as parents and make sure we as a church understand who Jesus really is. We've got to make sure we do this. You see, we gravitate to the peace on earth, goodwill toward men, and we overlook the times when Jesus says his coming would bring division. You've heard me say that many people love to cherry-pick the Bible. They like the version of Jesus they can choose. Some love country music Jesus. You've heard me say this, right? Where you come to Jesus and you get your dog back and your truck back and your wife back and your, you know, all that kind of stuff. So they love country music Jesus. Come to Jesus and good things come. We love, we love like get rich Jesus where you come to Jesus and he's going to give you the job you've always wanted. And you're never going to have bills and everything. The car will never break down or never not start Jesus, right? But what about the Jesus who says, no, if you don't love me, you're not of me. You see, as one person said, no one should hail Jesus as a great moral teacher until he reads through all that Jesus taught. I think one of the pandemics of our day is people are not reading the Bible, all of it. And that's what I'm challenging you as parents, Brandon and Stacey, and as all parents here, don't cheapen Jesus. In fact, make so much of him that Piper and Theo are in awe and have an overwhelming sense that he must be worshipped and he can be trusted. Secondly, let me give you this, teach your children to ask Jesus the right questions. Teach your children to ask Jesus the right questions. You see, this man thinks that the important question is, what good deed, now notice that singular, what is the one good thing I've got to do to have eternal life? And I need you to realize, he's not talking about quantity here, but quality. In other words, the fairy tale thing, and how do I, what's the one thing I need to do to live happily ever after? That's what he's asking. And the fact that he asked only about eternal life tells us he was thinking somewhat religiously. In other words, he's been raised, he's been spending time around religion. Does that sound familiar? I've been raised around religion my entire life. My parents got saved two weeks apart when I was five years old. So I've been around evangelical Christianity almost all of my life. And in fact, I remember one of the great challenges in my life as a parent I know Brandon's outside, they're holding a piper right now, but I I remember telling telling Brandon, I I had my window open to my, my kitchen, and I heard Brandon and Jordan outside playing hockey with the neighborhood kids, street hockey in our driveway, and somehow religion came up. And I heard the boys in PEI, and they were all talking, and somehow Brandon was brave enough to ask everybody what they believed about God. And so one kid said, I'm Catholic, and one kid said, I'm Anglican, and one kid said, I don't know what I am. And then Brandon, very naturally and casually, just said, oh, and I'm Baptist. And I realized, oh, stink. Brandon doesn't see himself as different than anybody else. And I have, with all of my passion and vigor, simply given him... Another religion, another label to be. And that was a real challenge. And so I wanted Brandon to ask the right questions. And we should want our kids. You see, look at the questions he asked. What must I do to have eternal life? Then Jesus gives him those six commands, and before he does that, he says, Which ones of the commandments got I have to keep? And then after that, he says, What do I still lack? Really, here's what's been happening. This rich wrong ruler is saying, I love my stuff but I'm afraid to die. So tell me what I have to do to stay alive with my stuff. Let's read between the lines. You see, the problem with this man was that he never believed that he was a sinner or a bad guy. That's why I said this was a bad guy acting like a good guy. See, he never believed. I don't think this guy ever believed he was perfect. I really don't. I don't think he didn't think, because why would he be here asking this question? I don't think he ever thought that he wasn't bad. He just didn't think he was really bad. He didn't think he was hell worthy. He didn't think that his life might be an offense to the holiness of God. And that's what Russell was telling us about a couple weeks ago in Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. The bad news has to be really bad if the good news is going to be really good. You see, this guy wanted good news, but he didn't want bad news. And that was his problem because he wasn't asking the right questions. And so I want to make sure as parents of my granddaughter... That you help and teach her to ask the right questions. You see, you don't teach them that I'll take the teachings I like and ditch the rest. I'll take his good deeds but not his harsh words. I'll take his love for humanity and not his desire to glorify himself. Now don't get me wrong. You can pick and choose whatever you like about Jesus. People do it all the time. But we can't say that we follow Jesus just because we think he's a great teacher. He's got to be something more than that. You see, to accept that Jesus is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, and accept that he is the perfect son of God, the king of the nations, the righteous judge, and the hope of world, and then imagine, live like, it doesn't matter. If you've really met him, it changes you. And so, Brandon and Stacy in church, faith is more than intellectual assent to certain doctrines. It's an entire life based on the conviction that these doctrines are true. So let Piper ask questions, but teach her to ask the right questions. Who is Jesus? Who is God? I want you to know, for all of you young people and students, all of you, it is never wrong for you to question the Bible. I want you to know that. I love this fact. Truth is never afraid of a question. The Bible is not going to cower in fear at your questions. Never, ever be afraid to go, so what? What? But when God answers you, don't be offended when he looks at you and says, what now? And so as parents, teach your kids to ask the right questions. Next, number three, teach your children that rules don't make the heart grow warm. Oh, church, get this. All right, I've said this before. I'll say it again. Love without rules leads to chaos. And rules without love, leads to rebellion. And in my life, I have experienced more of rules without love. And I have watched how I was rebellious in my teen years. I've watched when I have done the made that mistake with my children, how it's caused them to rebel. And I've watched too many of mine and Debbie's friends and peers leave God and church behind simply because we reduce the gospel to a set of rules. So, parents and church, we need to teach our kids that because you keep the rules doesn't mean your heart will love Christ. If all you see is Jesus as this big giant ogre with all the power who can dole out these rules, and if you want to stay on his good side, you better keep them because if you get out of line, bam, he's going to smack you around. See, the problem is too many of us treat the gospel like it's karma. And you can't do that. Grace will make you uneasy. Free grace will really, really mess with your mind. I want you to realize that if you understand what it is to be loved by Jesus, if you understand how amazing his grace is, if you understand how when he bestows his love upon you, you can never get him to take it off of you, that will motivate you to live a life in response to him, not try to live a life where you earn his favor. And I've seen that too much in too many families where you're trying to keep the rules to convince God you're worthy. No, you are worthy because Jesus loves you. And would you all just embrace that? And that will get uncomfortable. The one thing I will say about grandparenting is that you, you get, it's almost like you feel like you got a do-over with your kids when you get the grandkids. And I realized just how much more patient, how many of the things I did when I was in my 20s where Brandon and Stacy are are in the early stages of parenting, and I just want so badly to be able to take my 47-year-old brain and pour it into their first-time parenting brains and let them know, just love them, love them, and expect them to fail, expect them to screw up, expect them to struggle, and know what? Just amaze them with the love of God. Fourthly, teach your children that God looks on our heart, not on our actions, you are never going to stand before God. Remember, this is the terror of Matthew chapter 7, verses 20 to 22. That's that passage nobody loves. Everybody loves Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, right? Judge not lest ye be judged. Everybody loves that verse. Few of you go to the, the end of chapter 7 when he says, And many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Now notice what they say. Haven't we done many wonderful and marvelous works in your name? They immediately start to give Jesus their resume. Look at what we've done. And Jesus says those horrific words, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Why? Because they did stuff, but their hearts weren't in it. I remember an old pastor telling this story when he was an early parent. And this was back in the day, believe it or not, some of you young parents don't realize this because now your kids are in five-point harnesses um, as they drive anywhere. I remember going to St. Louis, Missouri with a a sleeping bag and a pillow in the back window of mom and dad's Chevy Nova as I made faces at the cars that drove behind us. And I survived. Now, I'm not being anti-car seat. My grandson never travels without a car seat. But I remember this pastor saying how his daughter was in the back seat, and she was standing up. And she said to him, he said to her, honey, sit down, put your seatbelt on. And she went, no. All right? So they drove a little further, and he said, honey, I've told you, dad has said, sit down, put your seatbelt on. And of which she went, no. He said, honey, if i got to pull this car over, you will sit down, and you will put your seatbelt on. And she went, no, I won't. So he pulls the car over. Of course, instantly, she sits down and puts her seatbelt on. As he's pulling away, here's what little Emma says. Daddy, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm still standing up on the inside. And we laugh at that, but I want you to know we need to teach our children that God looks on our heart and not on our actions. And many of us as adult Christians will say to God, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. And that is not the way of the gospel. And then finally, teach your children that Jesus is worth more than anything or anyone. This was, the, this was the back and forth with the rich young ruler. All right, He basically says, how do I live? How do I have eternal life and live with my stuff? And what does he say? This man only wanted Jesus as long as it meant he could have what he really loved, his money. He saw Jesus as that add-on, not as the center. And I'm going to say this. At least the man was consistent because at least he walked away. He didn't stay and pretend. Judas stays and pretends. Ultimately, Jesus wasn't worth it for this young man. But many think one thing about this guy. You might be tempted to put this young man with so many others we encounter uh, from day to day. For instance, how many folks even today think, Jesus, well... Maybe he existed, maybe he didn't exist. I don't know if he's a somebody or a nobody, but I think the gospel are myths and legends with no grounding in history. Oh, I like that whole victory and defeat themes in the gospel, but I don't need Jesus for that. I don't really care who this Jesus is, and neither should you. Billions of Christians singing to Jesus this week are worshiping a figment of their imagination, is what many in today's world will say. But I want you to notice in our passage, look at what it says. He went away sorrowful in verse 22. You see, I think this guy loved his money over Jesus, yes. But I also think he was bugged by the fact that he couldn't shake the need for Jesus in his life. He left without assurance He goes without, while he still has doubts and fears, and those will lead him to cling to what he thinks will give him peace. And I need you to know, Brandon, I need you to know, Stacy, I need you to know this, and I need the church to know this. Our goal, your goal, is to give and patiently walk through life with our kids, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, and as they struggle with these types of issues. Our goal as parents, our reality as Christians, is to model and live a consistent life. I want you to know as parents, and you need to be able to say this, I can't persuade you to trust in Jesus, but I can show you that I do. That's what I want you to realize. And so teach your kids that Jesus is more than anything or anyone. As parents, don't worry about being successful. Don't worry about being failures. Worry about being faithful. And the one thing I have learned as a father of a 24-year-old and a 22-year-old and a 16-year-old and now two grandchildren is this. Their stories are not written. And so parents, don't get caught doing this, taking a Polaroid of your life and defining your life by a Polaroid. We do that too often. We define our friendships like this. We define church like this. We define our marriages like this. We define our family and our parenting this way. I remember God has taught me so many lessons about discontentment in parenting. When we had Brandon, and Brandon was seven, and Jordan was was five, and Abby was born, all I could think about was what it would be like just to get all three of them out of diapers. And I wouldn't, well, Debbie wouldn't have to change as many diapers, (laughs) because I didn't do so well, (laughs) all right? Then I remember thinking, if we can just get them out of the play pens, if we can just teach them how to ride bikes, if they can just be left alone for a little while, and I've realized, you know what? It doesn't matter what phase of parenting you're at, you just exchange worries for new worries. You just exchange new dreams for, for, from the old dreams. You just, no matter what, now that they're in their basically almost adults, all three of them, I still worry and pray and want and th- th- need different things. And I realize every day, I just got to give them to God every day. And when I don't think their lives are working the way I would define it or the way I would lay it out, am I brave enough to show them, I just think Jesus is worth it and trust him with their lives. Now, that's not to advocate my role. I've given you five principles. And so my prayer for you as parents today and for every one of you here today in attendance is this, that those who accept all these things as true will live and die as if they were. And secondly, that those who don't yet accept these things will ask God to help them understand if these things are so. That's what I'm inviting you to. That's what I am asking you to do. And so I want you to know Jesus loves you. You see, in Mark chapter 10, it said these words. And Jesus, about this rich young ruler, said, looking at him, loved him when he said these things. Brandon Stacy, if you want to give Theo and Piper the greatest gift you can, it's not to give them your love. I think you know to do that. It's to help them understand every day Jesus loves them. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Make sure that Piper and Theo, make sure every one of you here know that Jesus wants you. Jesus will not only save you, but you need to believe who he is and who you are and what you need and what he will do. He will never let you go. See, I have never met the sinner who went to God who God didn't want. And you will never be so bad that you cannot be the apple of God's eye. And you will never be good enough that you will not need the amazing grace of God's love. Oh, that we would get that as a church, and I want you to know it will be worth it all. Let's close in prayer. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity just to share a little bit of my heart with my son and my daughter-in-law, with my church family. Lord, I love these people, and yet I'm imperfect as well, and I love imperfectly. I am selfish at times. I am self-centered at times. I I fail. But Lord, I'm so grateful that you never fail. You pick me up out of the miry clay. You put my feet on a rock. You were always faithful, even in the face of my unfaithfulness. It's always safe to run to you. And I pray that Brandon and Stacy will know that with Piper and Theo, they can always come to you. I pray that every man and woman in this sanctuary with me right now, no matter where they're at in life, some need to be reminded of how much they're loved by Jesus. Some people need to be reminded that they don't need to struggle to earn God's favor. Father, some need to be reminded that keeping commandments isn't going to make them right with you. Father, make us understand that we keep commandments because we're already right with you, and we trust you. So, Lord, some are maybe battling bitterness. Some have maybe wandered away. Some maybe feel like their life hasn't gone according to plan, and they're trying to figure out how to put it all together. Lord, I just pray that a spirit of safety and courageousness will fall over us today. In Jesus' name, amen.